Usually on a Bad Boys of Podcasting episode, it's the podcast episode that has a warning at the beginning. Uh, but this week, I decided to put one here. Uh, I know it's a little lame to put a, a warning at the beginning, but what the hell. Um, if you happen to be a huge fan of uh, You Made It Weird, you may not enjoy the podcast discussion that we have coming up for you. But I think there's some funny stuff in there, and it might be worth your time if you if you're not too sensitive about the subject. So I'm just saying, if it's your favorite podcast, if you don't want to hear anyone say anything bad or naughty about it, then just maybe listen to the interview portion and leave the podcast portion alone. And if you don't, and if you listen to it anyway and don't enjoy it, feel free to let me know in any way you see fit. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Mwah. Welcome to Podcasts for Wonderful, episode 88. This week, my guest and I listened to You Made It Weird, episode 83, featuring Eric Andre, Jackie Cation, John Glazier, Brett Gellman, and Pete Holmes. And uh, this is an episode of the Bad Boys of Podcasting series. Uh, you asked for it, you got it, it's back. Uh, Bad Boys of Podcasting. But before we get to the podcast, we're going to speak to my guest. And also, before I speak to my guest, I also just want to mention... Uh, I am recording some episodes in advance. Uh, I'm recording this one July 3rd, so if you hear a lot of uh, explosions in the background, it's probably not gunfight, although it could be. I do live in Flint, Michigan after all, but it's probably just uh, fireworks, so don't worry about me too much. Um, if I if I posted this, that means I'm still alive, so I didn't get shot. That's out of the way, so now let's talk to my guest. Uh, you know this man as the singer for the band Deep Purple for White Snake for uh, his solo efforts. Uh, he's one of the greats in rock and roll. Uh, let's welcome to the show David Coverdale. David, welcome to the show. Hello, people. Thank you for having me, Greggy. No, no, thank you for being here. Uh, I'm such a fan. I love... Everybody that listens to the podcast knows two things about me. I love podcasts, and I love hard rock, baby. Well, I'm glad you love hard rock, because that's the only kind of rock... I make. Uh, well, I know that, of course. I'm such a big fan. <laughs> what was that? What was that? You don't believe me? Well, there's a lot of people who say they're fans of mine, but um, I find that sometimes they don't take the time to really explore my catalog. I think there's a lot of hidden gems in there that people are overlooking, and I'm I'm curious to know what your favorite White Snake album is. My favorite White Snake album is uh i love trouble actually trouble is my number one. Oh yeah yep i love it <laughs> you're a big fan of the cover art i assume one second <laughs> yeah yeah the cover art is really cool that snake is like a, a white snake uh-huh it, huh. Oh, I get it. That's right. I was in charge of uh, finding the artist to do all of our cover art for a long time, and I uh, 
I took pride in my work. I think actually uh, my favorite White Snake album cover, even more than the music itself, because that's pretty secondary to me, is uh, <laughs> 1979's Love Hunter. I think everybody should just take the time now to go ahead and look it up. I spent six months commissioning this piece of art, and I'm very proud of it. Um, of course, I don't have to do that because I'm a big fan, but uh, let's just give the folks at home a chance. Aww. Let's see, Love Hunter. Oh, come on. Love Hunter, here we go. Oh, <laughs> I hope the folks at home did did take this opportunity because uh, you've got quite the surprise in store for you. Um, without without talking about what the. Uh, <laughs> what the content of that picture is um, because I, I want to keep that surprise for the folks at home. What inspired that one? Oh, it was a, it was a lot of things. Uh, you know, we chose the name white snake primarily because there was so much uh, wordplay available with for us to name albums and to design art around. So uh, when you see the, the previous albums like snake bite and trouble, uh, you'll notice those album covers also have some, pretty profound snake imagery. However, what we wanted to do was capture who we were as people and the things that we felt most importantly about. And so I, I spent a lot of time and we spent a lot of money from the record label interviewing artists and spending time with them, partying very hard, going on tour and figuring out which of these artists would be able to really just embody this album cover with what White Snake was about at that time. Yep, that's what it definitely is all about. So, White Snake, what is what does that mean, name, name mean anyway? I don't get it. Uh, well, I mean, there's a, a certain thing that some gentlemen have and others don't. Mostly white guys, though, right? Uh, primarily, I guess it's not impossible <laughs> for for people of color to also have this thing. I mean, they'll have one, but not a white a white snake. Right? Yeah, it could be a it could be a brown snake. I mean, you saw the cover of <laughs> of Love Hunter. <laughs> um. <clears throat> so, what's it like being a rock and roll star? It's pretty much exactly what you think it is. Uh, I don't pay for very many things, and I make a lot of money going on tour. Uh, or I did. I mean, I don't tour very much anymore because I don't have to, uh, and I don't care about the music. So, uh, it was really all about the money for me as a rock star. I made sure that, uh, we were getting paid and I was getting paid. I mean, I, uh, I auditioned for the, you know, for Deep Purple in the early seventies and was able to get on a, uh, a record label and into a band that already had a worldwide following. And that was very good for my career uh and then when uh i felt like i was done with the band i i resigned even though i was not an original member of that band and went on to form you know the thing i'm, I'm most proud of which is which is white snake and so uh, the rock star lifestyle really came from from the time that i started singing uh back in north riding of yorkshire 
as a young boy. Oh, you started singing as a boy? Yeah. It wasn't during your audition for Deep Purple that you sang for the first time? No, that is what people will tell you, and uh, <laughs> they would be wrong. I've been the reason I have the perfect classic rock voice is because I've been making, I've been doing an impression of classic rock people since I was a child. But then back then it was just rock, not classic rock. Well, it was it was all blues music back then, and uh, I thought, <laughs> who who better to sing the blues and take it to the rest of the world than a uh, an old limey Brit like myself. <laughs> of course, the folks at home know, but wow, that accent—it's great. Yeah, it's you can only get it from where I'm from, <laughs> which is uh, North Riding of Yorkshire. Oh, okay. Saltburn by the sea, if you will. <laughs> I will. So, are you a married guy, or I mean, you are a rock star, so it's you got your pick of the litter, but uh. That's a terrible thing to say about women. <laughs> but did you ever settle down? Uh, I I tried to settle down briefly, briefly. Uh, I was I, I got married in 1974. Um, had a daughter. Oh wow! Before. You... Oh yeah, well before Love Hunter. But I, you see, I, mm -hmm. uh, I I'm a love hunter, so I had to keep hunting, and uh, I was. Uh divorced pretty shortly after that so i was just on the hunt for love for a long time and i got married again in uh 89 so i i try not to get married anymore because every time i do i, I lose a lot of money so um mm. yeah is money like the most important thing to you probably I mean, it seems more important to me than the music or my family or my happiness. So, uh, yeah, I gotta I gotta make that money. So you're not a a particularly uh, artistic type of person. I'm a very uh, business oriented individual. If if um, if the white snake artwork doesn't show you how serious I am about business, then I don't know a better way to explain it. It's just, <laughs> it's very, we're very serious about what we do. Sex sells, baby. Yes, sir. Let's see. So let's just go over some of these album titles. You got Trouble. Ah. Uh -huh. Pretty simple, but that's a, that's a good way to start off. You got Love Hunter. Now that's a little more, uh... I don't know. We're starting. We're 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 going down the path. Then we've got ready and willing. Uh huh. Um. <laughs> okay. Well, no no comment necessarily there. We got come and get it. Now that one's pretty good. That's like, uh, hey, we're white snake now. You're coming to us. Uh huh. Got saints and sinners. I don't know about that one. But then we've got slide it in. <laughs> <laughs> we felt strongly that we were exhausting some of our opportunities to use uh, snake imagery and mm -hmm. uh, also combine that into something that sounds grotesque and sexual. So <laughs> we really tried to refocus that in the early 80s and redefine our sound so that people knew we were still super fuckable, even though we were you know, probably 40 at the time. Yeah, you're like Love Hunter, Saints and Sinners. I don't know if people are getting the idea here. 
Slide it in. Yeah, we decided that our fans maybe needed some like dr- just direct language, and mm-hmm. um, if you listen to a lot of our early material, there are some kind of sketchy lyrics, and people would say things like uh, "you're misogynist" and <laughs> "you don't you think <laughs> you think women are objects for you to use," and we just we wanted to set all these rumors aside. And really focus on what was important to us, which was the marketing of this band uh, centered around <laughs> snake puns and uh, sexual innuendos. Just for my folks at home that aren't super familiar, um, and if that's the case, stop what you're doing right now. Go to iTunes, buy the entire discography of White Snake. But uh, what is like the most famous White Snake song, do you think, that people will uh, recognize? Uh, it's probably one of three tracks off of 1987's White Snake album. This was a, a real special time in music, and if you listen to these albums, you can really just feel how electric the '80s were for us. So probably because of those electric guitars you were using. Yeah, they were really loud. I think that <laughs> that was what the electricity was, um, because <laughs> everything was just turned up as loud as we could go, mostly. So there's three tracks on that album that I think are probably all stand out and fantastic. There is. Uh, Still of the night, here I go again, and is this love? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so Still of the Night is the one that maybe you don't, just like the lyrics don't immediately come to mind because it was kind of this subtle hard rock anthem that only kind of deep, deep white snake heads would pick up, but it's it's pretty good. Uh, yeah. See if you See if you recognize this. <clears throat> that i'm the biggest fan oh yeah well sorry this is for your fans who maybe aren't as you know uh, deeply familiar with me the way that the way that you are and i think you know if we can i, I just think maybe we should save uh us singing some of here i go again for the end of the, end of the show oh uh, yeah that is gonna be a treat so folks do not fast forward straight through to that portion of the show because uh of course i do have a lovely singing voice as you're aware of from listening to the show and you just heard david singing he's wonderful and do you prefer dave or david or mr coverdale well i prefer mr coverdale but you and i are 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 friends now Gregory. you can you can call me whatever you wish okay thank you mr coverdale (laughs) (laughs) uh you said you, you you prefer not to get married Oh, jeez. One second. Let me go blow my nose. <laughs> my nose is all stuffy. I'll be right back. Is this love that I'm feeling? Is this love that I've been looking for? I'm back. Sorry about that. Uh, it's cool. Uh, you might, You may want to leave some of that in. Oh, really? So, David, you said you don't want to get married anymore, but you also said you really love money. So let's say, like, 
TV producers came to you and said, hey, we're thinking about rebooting that show, uh, Who Wants to Marry a Millionaire? Mm-hmm. Would you be up for it, David Coverdale? Absolutely. I, I love reality television of uh, all varieties and quality, and I would jump at the chance to put this wrinkly old carapace back out on the market. <laughs> Are you still are you still a millionaire? I'm just kidding. Of course you are. Yes, I'm still I'm still incredibly wealthy, more than you would think. <laughs> okay, let's say we take the marriage thing out of it though. Like uh, any reality show you wanted, you could make, and you would be the host or the star or something like that. Would you do like a lifestyle one, like a Keeping Up with the Kardashians style? Uh, would you do like a, a like a American Idol style uh, talent type show? What would you do? It would be a lifestyle show. It would be, uh, it would be like Southern Charm if you've ever seen that show. I haven't caught that one, but if you could just fill me in on how that one goes. This is a Bravo show that I'm positive there's at least one Bravo executive who doesn't know that they make this show. But it's <laughs> it's really lower tier uh, lifestyle reality stuff about these uh, monsters who. Uh, live in Charleston, South Carolina, and they're all they're all very wealthy, and I identify with that. Uh, and it's mostly them having like arguments over the paternity of their children while like at a polo match. So there's a juxtaposition that I think is very satisfying to viewers, and I feel like I could bring that to the viewer with my outrageous lifestyle. Do you think you would have to have like a uh... A producer that was uh, putting together different stunts and stuff like that to go on during the show? Uh, Or do you think your lifestyle is just that crazy that you wouldn't really need to plan anything ahead? Uh, I would... What I would do is let them bring a producer in to give me ideas, and if I liked any of them, I might use them, but otherwise I would routinely just do whatever I wanted to, and then they would have to just take the footage that they get. So what's like a, a day like in your crazy lifestyle? What what kind of stuff do you get up to? Well, there's not much right now. So let's see. I live in uh, Re- I live in Lake Tahoe. Sometimes I go to Reno. Sometimes I go to Vegas. So I wake up in uh, in my mountain home and I kind of look over the horizon and then I just like eat some toast and eggs and watch a lot of golf mostly in reality television but when i was still touring i would go for weeks without uh sleeping more than than four hours a night because we routinely partied as hard as we could in every city we went to you would amp up the crazy lifestyle if you had tv cameras there at the at the house oh yes i mean i would just invite all of my friends we're all uh, old now, but most of my friends still have serious drug and alcohol abuse problems. I feel like that's, <laughs> that's perfect for reality. I feel like TV. that's good for that. Yeah. If I was, if I was uh, any reality show I wanted, I would do a uh, kind of like a, the old Earwolf challenge. If uh, folks remember that, old Maddie B hosted that one. Uh, I would, I would host something like that. Only it would be kind of con- combined with Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> If anyone if anyone messed up uh, during their uh, during the dumb uh, games that I put together that are supposed to make you a better podcaster, uh, if anyone messed up during that, then there would be punishments where they had to like clean my house or something like that. So that's that's how I would do it, and I would swear a lot at everybody. 
uh, because that's just the kind of person I am in my day-to-day life. <laughs> well, I think that sounds great. Um, if any podcast where you are vetting podcasts against each other to find out which one is more wonderful sounds like a, uh, a smash hit to me. And I would have all kinds of different podcasts in with it, like, uh, you know, your Night Vale types along with NPR types, along with uh, Comedy Bang Bang types. But then I would judge them all as though they were comedy podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think that it's fair to set up um, unrealistic expectations for a podcast based on like the type of podcast that is actually your favorite. Yep. That's the way that I listen to music as well. Like it, when I listen to, for instance, a Chance the Rapper album, I think it's a terrible rock and roll album. It's not good. <laughs> um, There's barely any guitars at all. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's not what I'm looking for in terms of rocking out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a that's a that's a no go for me. I kind of have uh, similar opinions when I listen to it as a rap album, but oh, I don't want to get into that. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> you have a lot of controversial opinions on what in, what is not rap, I see. <laughs> no, it's it's rap for sure uh, in places. <laughs> there are rap verses on that album. <laughs> no, I don't want to get in trouble. Everybody loves Chance the Rapper. It's true. He's uh, Chirac's favorite son. I think he's a little boring, but uh, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm not allowed to. Shh, don't, Greg. If people hear this, we're both going to be in trouble. So you said you you watch a lot of uh, reality TV. What's your favorite show out there right now? Uh, well, my favorite out there right now is easily going to be, I mean, Survivor, just because it's, oh, of course, it's yeah. the perennial favorite of anyone who has taste. Um mm-hmm. But I do watch. I watch a lot of Bravo television for whatever reason. It's not. It's it's bottom of the barrel stuff, but uh, some of it is is pretty satisfying. Um, do you have cable, or are you a cord cutter, or how do you watch this? I'm a cord cutter. Yeah, I um, I wait until the cable is installed, and then I get out <laughs> my my cable splitters and my wiring kit, and uh, most of the time I patch together two or three different cable sources or not sources but uh leads to other people's houses so that i'm stealing like the most bandwidth that i can get and um yeah i mean that's it's a fine way to get extra channels and when they find out uh, i just move (laughs) that's exactly what i meant thank you um yeah but i was just gonna say i think uh actually having cable is the best for uh really getting into different reality shows because you don't have to seek them out. You can just like, if it happens to be on, you put it on and you watch it for a while and then you get sucked into it. Yeah. That's, I mean, there's a, that's the thing about these Bravo shows is that they're so disposable that you never, if you miss weeks at a time, you're like, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's like, uh, I'm trying to think of a more like soap operas. Yeah. If, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're and they, and, they're cycled so heavily that some of these shows like the the real housewives you know franchise or whatever i mean there's always two of those on at any given time in season like i said it's just what well it's like you said actually is that you can just find it 
whenever you want it, tune in and then leave. And then, as I was saying, they're, they're so disposable that you don't feel like you're missing out on anything if you do miss it. It's not, it's not as good as something like Survivor that uh, demands your attention and satisfies every need you have as a viewer. Imagine if there was always a season of Survivor going. It would only take one more year. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Probes would be uh, falling apart, though. Oh, yeah. He's, it's hard out there for him. <laughs> uh, well, I, I guess his life isn't, isn't too terrible since he just has to go out in the helicopter or whatever every day. Yeah, he gets to... I mean, he's... Uh, this is one of my favorite things, Greg. <laughs> we still went into a gold mine here. Uh, but, yeah, I've read things where... You know, Jeff uh, Probst specifically talked about wearing fresh clothes and cleaning his nails before he goes to see the contestants. So you know that he's he's fully involved and trying to get in these people's heads as much as he can. And uh, <laughs> that's what I want in a host. Turns out, yeah. for a reality show, I want them to be antagonistic towards the comp- you know, the competition. But still, I mean, he does have to live in these same sorts of places as these people. Of course, he has way more amenities and stuff, but uh, it is they do choose those islands and stuff because they're out in the middle of nowhere. Yes, I think it's I think it's hard for him to go and stay on a resort for uh, six to eight weeks in <laughs> the Philippines uh, on white sand beaches because. He's got, you know, I mean, he's a he's a businessman and he's a producer and he's the host and he's uh, he's there with them in the shit, really getting getting dirty and gritty. And then, you know, it's hard for him to go back to his California king bed and his uh, resort condo and, and get a good night's sleep because he's so worried about what's going on in the game. Okay, David, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Lay off me for a second. God damn. But, but, okay, you haven't considered this. The prize that they get, that pizza that they get out there at Survivor <laughs> Island, is so beat to shit. That's what he's got to live with. I mean, he doesn't have to win a, uh, a challenge for that, but that's all that they can get out there, so... That's rough, dude. Yeah, I will concede that point to you, uh... Easily, Greggy. I mean, this piece, those pieces look like they were delivered from L.A. <laughs> yes, by boat. <laughs> yeah, like, just go ahead and send it now. They'll need it in three weeks, and that's what they got <laughs> to eat as their pizza. Thank you. Yeah, you're, you are right on uh, target there. <laughs> so uh, what's, what does the future hold uh, music-wise for you? You're... You're just not going to make any more because you don't need any money? That's kind of my attitude towards it, it seems like. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm fine touring every three years with some group of musicians that I call White Snake. Uh, and then we <laughs> don't write any new material. Um, but we do record those shows and sell those uh, as live shows <laughs> for people. And... Um, no, I mean, unless someone's going to pay me a ton of money to write more music, I'm not going to. And I'm really crossing my fingers for a reality show bid. <laughs> well, do you do you feel like you still have the pipes? I know I've still got the pipes. Let me hear a little more. Not, not here I go again, because we're saving that for uh, the end of the show. But 
I was uh, one of the other great White Snake songs. So a little bit earlier, uh, you know, you had to go get some tissues, and I was kind of working on uh, a little bit of "Is This Love?" and um, <coughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me just see if I can. Uh, <coughs> Let me see if I can get this going. <laughs> Alright. Is this love? That I'm feeling? Is this love? That I'm looking for? Yeah, so. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. I, I'm sorry I even questioned you. Of course, you have the pipes. I've, I've done nothing but smoke and drink for the last 40 years. My voice sounds fantastic. Uh, what do you say we uh, take a little break and then get started talking about the podcast? Sounds great. Who is Bruce Reed Robinson? Nobody. That too. You can't find him. He's nowhere on the internet. He's like a ghost. Anyone who's ever seen Bruce Reed Robinson has never lived to tell the tale. Don't even bother trying to look him up because you won't find him. He's invisible. He's like Sasquatch or the Loch Ness Monster. Just give it up already. If even the CIA and NSA can't find Bruce Reed Robinson, what chance do you have? None, that's what. So don't even bother. Just give up. Now, you quitter. Hmm, what do I want to put in the middle part this week? Uh, if you have a podcast suggestion that you'd like us to talk about here on the podcast, whether it be for a Bad Boys of Podcasting series episode or a, just a regular episode, uh, you can send them to me on Twitter at the Greggiest or to podcastwonderful at gmail.com, or you can comment on this episode or any of the episodes on the website, podcastforwonderful.com. Yeah, so do that, why don't you? Uh, It's always nice to have a listener-requested episode to talk about. Uh, It's good to take to my guests for them to have a choice to pick from. And it's fun to be able to give somebody a shout-out for uh, suggesting it. And I just want to give a shout-out to Ian for suggesting me to go back to the Bad Boys of Podcasting series. Uh, Thanks, Ian, and I hope you enjoy this discussion coming up. Back to the show. Wait, are you really, uh, were you sincerely upset about that before? Upset about what? About the yeah, E-Trade thing? Go, it's over. About me being an asshole. I was an asshole. I, I, this, can I exp- about the E-Trade what? I can't tell what? if you're fully committing, and then you're going to be like, ah, it's okay, let bygones be bygones. Or you were in that moment sincerely upset. Upset about what? About the E-Trade thing. When you brought up, uh, you took a shitload of money from me. But that was genuine. No, 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 no. I didn't say that he took a shitload of money from me. Yeah. Just to, to, to Do you bring like how up, I, I went, walked all this way to relieve the tension? And, and then brought like, it right back. Let's it. go back to it. And then brought yeah, it right back. It right yeah, back. I noticed it for it. sure. <laughs> so this week, David Coverdale and I listened to You Made It Weird, episode 83, featuring Eric Andre, Jackie Cation, John Glazer, Brett Gilman, and Pete Holmes. And ladies and gentlemen, this is a Bad Boys of Podcasting episode, so strap yourselves the fuck in. Um... <laughs> 
But you made it weird as a show where Pete Holmes has a guest on and um, he asked them about their religious upbringing and when they lost their virginity and stuff like that. Uh, and in this episode, it was a live episode, so we had a whole bunch of guests and it was in front of a live studio audience there. And uh, let's just say it got pretty weird. And he starts us right off at the beginning. Uh, Pete gives us a warning about what's coming up. So you know you're in for a real bad boys roller coaster, David. Yeah. Uh, with a show that's premise is based around how weird it's going to get, it seems strange for him to up top um, tell you it's going to be very weird when normally he reserves that time for uh, making bad jokes and um, shilling to video game delivery companies. <laughs> you didn't like those jokes which uh which jokes are, which jokes are we talking about specifically the video game oh, names yeah it's fake video game names buddy um i it's not a terrible bit but i think that i've heard him do it i mean on so many occasions that it to me it feels like a, a kind of trick that he has in a bag that he pulls out when he needs it i don't know i love that rando stuff man Oh, uh, rando humor? Yeah, it's so good. It's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they'll put a warning at the beginning of an episode, and then you actually listen to it, and you're like, huh, they didn't really have to put that warning there. But I think, uh, well, I, I don't know if he really needed to put the warning, but he did not undersell how bad things got later on. Yeah, I mean, I will say that you do kind of um, expect that since it's, it's Pete, and he says, this is going to get weird, and the name of the podcast is You Made It Weird, that it couldn't possibly be that weird to listen to. Uh, but he, you're right. I mean, he sold it completely the way it is. It's very um, hard to listen to for, for more than one reason. My second question here is not one that I would ask on a regular podcast or Wonderful episode, but, hey, this is the Bad Boys episode. The rules are out the window. Uh, so I'm asking, how does anyone like Pete Holmes? <laughs> um, I think that's a good question and one that I've asked myself on more than one occasion. Um, I I don't know how anybody really likes him. I can I don't know why people maybe dislike him as much as they do, but I find him to be kind of lukewarm to me not liking him very much. Um, I don't, I, he's, I don't hate him and he is, um, he seems very earnest and nice a lot of the times. Yeah. I think that's what it is. It's like people connect to, I don't know, his whole personality. They, they ask themselves kind of the same sorts of questions that he asks on his show. <laughs> and so they connect to that. Yeah, I think maybe he's he's just nice enough and earnest enough to be endearing, and then um, people just kind of put up with all of the um, obnoxious um, kind of narcissistic behavior that he has for most of the other time. Okay, so then we jump ahead to 13 minutes, and at 13 minutes, uh, Pete gets very offensive doing a, a Haitian leprechaun character. Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, he tells us how offensive it is, and we are so offended because of uh, how offended he tells us we are. Yeah, and 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 again, um, I, you know, sometimes I'm inclined to not believe Pete because I'm kind of biased against him. But 
he was delivering some uh, really, really raw comedy that night, and I think that uh, I maybe would have just let it slide or thought um, he's just grasping for straws, trying to do a really broad, kind of weird, racist bit, but uh, because he was telling me how offended I was, I knew that, like, no, this is, this is serious and this is real, and um, I took it seriously, and I was actually offended by it. Okay, well, I don't know. I think that's it was wrong of us to be so offended, as Pete told us to be, because he's just doing that raw, like that Lenny Bruce stuff. You know, it's like that George Carlin, seven words you can't say on television, you know? Oh, yeah. It's his edgy stuff, and we just weren't ready for it. And it, he told us we weren't ready for it, and we weren't. I mean, um, that's, that's a good point. You know, most of the time I'm listening to... Um, kind of uh, overproduced rock and roll music from the 80s so I'm used to a very specific sort of um, aesthetic and vibe from the entertainment that I'm consuming so when you hear someone like Pete, um, a guy who commands the stage mostly through yelling um, tell you how offended you are at his terrible accent but maybe that just cut to me a little deeper than it does someone who um you know listens to way more podcasts and and has a more holistic view of the the medium like yourself <laughs> well thank you i i appreciate uh that's a a great compliment to receive from you <laughs> anytime what is your nom de plume david oh man my nom de plume yeah have you ever written anything under another name I no because I want the credit. I mean the the I I like the idea of a nom de plume and I think they're useful for some people who maybe aren't as attractive or talented as me um and so they want to hide kind of in their rooms and like pee in bottles and never go outside and just write like science fiction novels or whatever they want to do but um no, everything I've written has my name and copyright on it because I would like all of the credit and 100% of the royalties that I can get my hands on through being very litigious. Absolutely. Like, what kind of loser puts something out under a fake name? Oh, my God. What kind of idiot would do something like that? You, you put your name in front of yourself and you stand behind everything that you put out there. And it just, I don't know. The, the whole idea of a nom de plume doesn't really sit well with me because it's like, hey, I think everybody should have to use their real name on Twitter. Um, every message board, they should have to have their real name on there, probably their social security number, definitely their phone number. And uh, I think everybody should, I think there should be roving packs of uh, people that beat the shit out of people for making <laughs> troll comments on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go. I'll go a step further and say that if if you aren't using your real name on the internet, you're a you're a fucking coward, and how dare you? And you shouldn't be allowed to post on the internet anywhere. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, man, yes. preach, brother. I'm I'm feeling it tonight. I'm so sick of trolls. Yeah, I, I troll culture. I mean, come on, guys. It's 2016. It's time to be PC. Let's all work together and really get behind. Um, this movement to only say things that could, um, you know, be be considered nice to somebody, and we don't ever want to say anything that could possibly be misconstrued into something offensive, like Pete Holmes' accent bit. <laughs> right. 
You know, I'm back on the offended fence on that one. I'm glad I could talk you talk <laughs> you into it. Um, and I just, I don't know, just for my listeners, I don't think it's that weird if you want to pee in a bottle in your room. <laughs> You've got a big uh, agoraphobic fan base. Well, yeah, a lot of the <laughs> No, I don't want to say mean things about my listeners. <laughs> I'm just implying that I like to pee in bottles. But... Oh, okay. Well, that's that's fine. <laughs> to each their own, Greggy. I just, I mean, just let me know when your science fiction novel is coming out. I would like an advanced copy. At uh, 23 minutes, Pete, he, he makes a joke. He doesn't feel like got enough laughs. Uh, so he circles back around for it. Just kidding. That just happens constantly throughout the episode. <laughs> and it is not something that needs to be noted at all. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's kind of his style in general, I feel like. And um, f- for me personally, it works better when he's one-on-one because the format of the show is normally just him and one other person and an engineer. And so the conversation is just between him and ostensibly someone that he's at least familiar with. So that mm-hmm. when he does that, it actually is more funny because it's his friend. I don't think that bit works very well when you're in front of a crowd of strangers and um, you're kind of telling them <laughs> how, how good your joke is. Hey, you guys didn't laugh at this enough, so I'm going to say it again. And you better laugh at it this time because otherwise we're going to do it a third time. Right. That's you're, I don't think laughs under duress should be considered a successful live performance. Like if you, <laughs> if you threaten psychological torture on your audience by saying, I'm going to keep saying this dumb shit until you laugh as much as I do at it, then uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's time to do more raw comedy and maybe just defend some more people in the room. Like I would have rather him um, really leaned into uh, uh offensive caricatures of people yeah like he could have mixed some more like races and different folkloric uh beings together that would have been good yeah and he could have told the crowd and that way he could have just told the crowd all at once like he wouldn't have had to stop the show to say this joke is funny and also stop the show to say this is offensive he could have just rolled it all into one five minute block of him laughing hysterically doing a racist accent and then telling the audience they need to laugh more and that they're also (laughs) offended simultaneously that would be i don't know that's kind of a good idea if you're just starting out in stand-up you just tell people like you get up on stage and you're like okay now this next joke this is going to be really funny and then you tell the joke and if the people don't laugh that's on them at that point because you told them ahead of time oh um well i should tell you greggy i mean uh in the late 80s, when Whitesnake was touring, I, all the, the boys in the band bet me that I couldn't do a, a tight five at a stand-up club in L.A., and um, of course I took them up on that. I actually did this exact same thing in 1987. Uh, oh, wow, you're an innovator. Yeah, I... Uh, I I had one joke prepared, and uh, I walked out onto the stage. Nobody recognized me, and then um, I proceeded to to tell my joke, and um, nobody laughed. So then I spent the remaining four minutes of my, my set time um, telling them that they were offended and also that I was funnier than they think uh, I am. You're definitely an innovator because you did this way before anybody else. But I think where you messed up is you should have told them it was funny before you told the joke. 
instead of doing it after because after it's kind of almost too late yeah you think that I, so the way i should have structured it better where i approach before i even set up a bit i just lean into two and a half minutes of telling them that you're not going to like this it's going to be too much for some of you and some of you like you may actually just pass out because this is going to be so fucking raw and then that way you kind of prep everybody and that way um when you when you do lean into that juicy juicy material they can <laughs> they can take it a little bit better uh anyway i would just i wanted to mention that i had done stand-up once before because i know that you do a lot of comedy podcasts yeah i love to listen to comedy podcasts um i i wish any of my podcasts or wonderful episodes were ever any were ever funny but um i don't tend to have com- comedians on so yeah i mean the bad thing about being a podcast that, that reviews other podcasts is that it's time to sit down and have a serious fucking discussion about the quality right. of the material. And so even if you are reviewing a really um, hilarious podcast like You Made It Weird, then it's still – you know, you're still kind of obligated to say, like, what what do we really think and feel about this, this content? Yeah, because, like, a great joke – it's like a it's like a fancy mechanical watch, right? You take it apart to see how it works, but then you can't get it back together again. It's not funny anymore once you explain it. Uh, so because of this really in-depth uh, discussions that we have about every podcast on this show, um, there's just no jokes to be had. Yeah, I mean it's it's the price of good journalism, I think, right? Like it's not it's not fun to have to tell people how it really is or to. Um, let people know that sometimes maybe a podcast is only an eight out of ten, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's hard, but right, it's just got to be. And that's still a great score, uh, podcast out there. If you got an eight, that's a great score, eight out of ten. But still, it breaks my heart every time I have to give one. Yeah, I breaks my heart too. <laughs> uh, so here's the one question I had regarding Jackie Cation. Uh, do you know anything about the Armenian genocide? I know that it exists. I don't have a lot of information about that. I know a lot more about the Cambodian genocide. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just have a lot of interest in Southeast Asia and like uh, the way that colonial powers just kind of abandoned it in the 20th century and how it fell into communist rule. But that's for um, genocides are wonderful. That's a whole different okay. podcast. We'll get to that some other time. That's an awful title. <laughs> 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 that's what it would have to be called. <laughs> uh, yeah, and like I said, that's like the only mention of uh, Jackie Cation we're going to have on here. She was fine on the show, definitely. She was just kind of there. Yeah, I think that her contribution to that show should be her contribution to this show, <laughs> which is very little because she was not offering a lot. And um, I don't mean that to sound bad. I actually preferred her saying nothing to Eric Andre for most of the podcast. <laughs> At 36 minutes, this is where it starts. Uh, Pete tells jokes for several minutes because John gave him a hard time for doing material over him. And, like, he tried to, <laughs> He, like, gave a joke to John Glazier. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> that was so... I don't know. I, I He meant it in a nice way, kind of. But... What was the? I, I, can't, seems, I can't remember the exact phrasing. What? <laughs> well, they were live at Outside Lands, uh, and it, it was cold at Outside Lands. And he said this festival could use a little more Inside Lands. 
And then he told John Glazier he could use the hat. <laughs> That's right. And John Glazier um, appropriately gave him almost nothing for that. Like, <laughs> right, like almost exactly. no response. And it, you know, saying he could use that, that's obviously a joke, uh, but it, it just is so, it, I don't know. I guess it's looking back on it after, when you know, like, what's coming up, uh, you kind of put more import on it, but it did seem like not the nicest move. You know, as much as I, as I think Pete is to blame for, like, all of the shenanigans on this episode, um, because it is his show and he's a terrible fucking host of a live podcast, um, I, I do think that, you know, John was clearly not having any of it. Like, if he didn't want to be on the podcast, he didn't have to be on the podcast. So he was there, and um, uh, I do think that Pete was being Pete and kind of rude and insane. But, uh, yeah, he he did, John decided that he was going to dig into his kind of stuff his style of um, comedy, which is very dry and naturalistic, and Pete is the opposite of that. So I think it, it looks bad <laughs> just from the beginning, and I think it it got worse because Pete was trying to make it funny and John was trying to make it not funny. Like John's bit of there where he goes and lays down on the floor mm-hmm. while Pete just does his material or whatever for several minutes that that's a funny thing to do i mean yeah he was playing along at that point yeah that, so right when <laughs> right when he walks out pete starts talking so john lays down on stage he gets up he walks around the audience like he's just he's he's being funny at that point but then as soon as he does sit down and pete actually lets him talk it very quickly becomes pete still talking over him and all that other stuff so at that point john can't really just do that bit again where he lays on the floor and walks off stage and all that other stuff, he kind of has to, he kind of has to find a way to wrangle Pete on his own show. And so I think, um, I think John was just like, uh, all right, well, I'm gonna be a stickler and I'm gonna let Eric and Pete yell for 30 minutes and um, maybe maybe John and Jackie will have like a decent conversation. But that never, <laughs> that obviously never happened. That didn't get a chance to happen. Yeah. Okay, and then at 41 minutes, this isn't really a bad boys um, moment, but that's when I looked at the time remaining on the podcast and I moaned audibly. <laughs> yeah, I was moaning way before then. I Like, the um, after Pete's super offensive joke that he told you about, um, you know, he brings Eric out, and the first time that I wanted to stop the podcast was when they were yelling at each other in terrible accents. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Like, Pete was talking about how he does, when they're on the road together, sometimes Pete will do one of Eric Andre's bits <laughs> yes. in front of him and uh, just do it for a long time. He does say he credits Eric with it, but I don't know. I, I'm not a stand-up comic, so I don't know, like, how acceptable that is or unacceptable. I assume if you're friends, and obviously Eric Andre doesn't seem like he cares about it, that's okay, but... I don't know. It just seems really weird to me. I think even if you are friends, and I'm not a comedian, but I feel comfortable saying that's a lazy fucking hack move, man. Like, (laughs) not only does he... Well, okay, so, yeah, he reaches for a lot of bits that he does over and over again, like the bad video games one, that bad video game titles and stuff like that. But then um, to tell a crowd 
that one of his favorite bits, so for, as a bit, he's telling the crowd, one of his favorite bits is to do Eric Andre's bit when he's on tour. So he's filling time by telling a story about how he uses other people's jokes sometimes <laughs> just to kill time. So he's killing time by telling a story about how he kills time with other people's material. And it's just it, all, that all of that was enough for me to not want to finish this episode. And I was hoping that um, Jackie would, would help us out of that. And of course she did not. So the podcast just floundered until um, things got even more awkward. Yeah. And 42 minutes is where it happens. Uh, Pete works really hard to make John Glazer feel bad. Uh, he brings up the E-Trade baby thing that he got. I guess John Glazer was the, the second in line for it, but uh, Pete ended up getting it. And so Pete brings it up, and John says, I really regret coming out of this podcast now. He's really direct about it and lets Pete know uh, how he feels about it. And Pete doesn't know whether he's joking or not, but he is very obviously not joking. Yeah, I I mean, I know the name of the podcast is You Made It Weird, and Pete normally sticks to a kind of set list of questions where he will ask people about, like, their family life or their religious beliefs or how they feel about sex and marriage or, like, any of his New Age bullshit that he tries to talk to everyone about. And um, instead, he brings out a person who he has um, – like a professional history with that could be viewed as kind of contentious and asks, like kind of, like you said, goes out of his way to ask him uh, a personal question on stage and seemingly they had never had this conversation before. Like Pete, it, it, what, it seems like Pete n never told John, hey, if you want to come do this, we can like, you know, I, I want to talk to you about the E-Trade baby thing on stage. Like he didn't do yeah. any of that. He just brought him out on stage in front of a group of people, talked over him for 10 minutes, and then basically told him, isn't that crazy that I got all this money for this job for that thing that you wanted? And uh, yeah. I can see why John didn't appreciate that. Yeah, he brings it up on a live show in front of a live audience that is also being recorded to be, you know, broadcast right. across the nation, across the world. Uh, thousands of people are going to hear this, and <laughs> so let's try and make you uncomfortable. I mean, it's supposed to be everybody. Like, that's so that defeats the premise of the show for me because everybody's supposed to feel uncomfortable. Um, and in that situation, I think when Pete was saying it, I don't think he was uncomfortable asking it. Um, like, I think he felt uncomfortable when he realized that he fucked up. But I think that the show works best when it's him and one other person. And it he feels awkward asking the question. The person feels awkward giving them the response. This mm -hmm. felt like Pete was just on cruise control. Like, oh, what's next? What's next? What's next? Oh, yeah. Remember that job that I beat you for and made a shitload of money on? And he just threw it out there. Um, and <laughs> John just really... Uh, didn't appreciate it. Do you think if this would have been a one-on-one -on -one conversation episode, just him and John Glazer, that that would have worked? I don't know if it would have worked, but I think it would have been a different... I, I don't think it would have just happened. If it had been a one-on-one, -on -one, then the conversation would have started 
one-on-one. It, there never would have been any of the Pete ignoring John and maybe pissing him off or, like, yeah. making it, forcing him into this weird bit corner where he's, like, a sourpuss on stage or whatever and then right. telling him that shit. If they had had 30 minutes of conversation about normal stuff beforehand and then Pete said, so do you want to talk about this? John could have, at that point said you know no i don't want to talk about that but at that point it's it's you know two people in a room having a discussion they're not on stage in front of people at a comedy festival so it kind of i think the the context would have been different and maybe it would have gone better for pete uh i i still don't think i mean if you believe john's response was genuine then it seems like he doesn't he really doesn't want to talk about it he's fine moving on from it um Mm -hmm. but, but maybe he is a little bit sore about it i just think that uh yeah, the circumstances of dragging a man out on stage, ignoring him, and then, like, um, kind of laying into him that way is, uh, I think, shitty hosting. Well, yeah, and I think it is totally just John was mad about the situation that Pete put him in. He wasn't mad about losing the job because it, it's, you know, it, it happened. It's not something that either of them really had any control over. Uh it's not like Pete sabotaged John in some way to get that job. Right. They just chose Pete instead of John, so it's not that big a deal. But it's just, you know, the way Pete made it weird yep. <laughs> that uh, put it together. Weird in the worst way possible. I agree. I don't I don't think John is mad about losing that job to Pete, but I, I, I also just think that, in general, he didn't appreciate <laughs> what was going on, and... Um, I don't think he likes Pete enough to like humor him. You know what I mean? That's the that's the thing that I kind of like about John this episode was that he kind of like I you know, he seemed like he didn't like it and instead of just playing along and like kind of you know, serving the thing to the end just so that they could get through it and get off stage, he made it pretty clear that he wasn't having a good time and he wasn't interested. And then there's a couple of minutes of uh, Eric and Jackie and Pete trying to, uh, you know, mollify the situation. And then at 45 minutes, Eric just totally refreshes it. He just takes it right back to uh, the total tension that they had before. He brings it right back up. Yeah. I I just think that's a classic misread by Eric Andre. I mean, I... You know, Eric's fine, but he's also like Pete, where obnoxious is his go-to. So I think he was trying to make a joke, and he did it at the exact wrong moment, and, uh, you know, people didn't really appreciate it, and then it just kind of escalated as it does, and, um, you know, after a couple of minutes, it settled back down. And uh, that that is also during that uh, trying to calm things down, uh, I believe, is where Eric Andre first brings up Morgan Freeman uh, having <laughs> sex with his granddaughter-in-law Step, or something. Yeah, stepdaughter-in-law or something. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember the exact um, premise of his bit, but there was some weird Morgan Freeman joke that he was he was pulling a, a nice Pete Holmes, where he was trying to just say it enough times that you have to laugh at it. Yeah. And uh, that comes up later, so just put that in your back pocket, listeners. I mean, I assume you listened to this episode, so you already know ahead of time, but just in case you didn't, that's going to come back. Uh, at 51 minutes, Pete is amazed at John's calling him out for offending him, which I kind of get, but like Pete is saying, if, if he were in that situation, he would have just laughed it off and 
um, tried to change the subject or something like that or tried to make it smaller than it was, pretend that he wasn't offended about it. Uh, whereas I think John actually responded as like most anyone would. Yeah, I didn't get the. I really don't get where Pete is coming from with that shit. Like, to me, that is... Um, that's him finding a way to manipulate it and make it about him again. Because what he's saying right. is... Oh my God, I can't believe you would like stand up for yourself or just say like in a reasonable tone as an adult, like I, I didn't like that. Like it's not that insane. That's kind of what, you know, <laughs> he was, he was perfectly courteous. He wasn't being a jerk about anything. It was just like, I don't want to talk about it. I kind of wish I hadn't done this. Like he was just being very frank about it. And Pete, because he wanted to make it about him, was say, you know, immediately started talking about, well, if I, if, that, if that were me, then I would do this, or I wouldn't do this, or I'd be so blah, blah, blah. It was just a way for him to bring it up again, but make it about him. And I think that was kind of him trying to tell the audience that, um, I don't know, I think he thought maybe he was doing John a favor by saying, like, I'm such a pussy, I would never say that, but you're so cool, you're so manly, you said this. And I think all it really did was bring it back up and annoy John. Yeah, I wonder if he was kind of damage controlling with the audience a little bit, too. Like, this guy is mad at me, but I admire that he's mad at me because he's so direct. That's so great. I, I mean, I have a feeling he was trying to um, do damage control with the the crowd. Like, he... Can you imagine being in the crowd at this show? <laughs> I, I hope I really hope that it was just like a festival pass and you didn't have to pay extra money to like get into certain <laughs> shows because I mean I guess really if you're willing to pay money to see you made it weird you kind of know what you're getting into but um, that's unfathomable to me and so I think that <laughs> if you listen to the recording there are people laughing like they don't lose the crowd at any point but they're definitely like I mean I you feel like people are um, definitely concerned with what's going on on stage. I mean, it's so palpable. Yeah, well, there is one moment when someone loses the crowd. And uh, that's at 66 minutes. Brett gives Eric a hard time uh, for making jokes during his story. Brett was telling, Brett Galman was telling a, uh, a story about his childhood, about OCD he had. Eric thought he was done, so he brought it back to the Morgan Freeman thing again. And uh, Brett was like, what the fuck, man? I'm trying to tell the story. Why do you have to break in with a non sequitur? And so uh, Eric says, I don't know why I'm being yelled at for uh, trying to be funny at a comedy show. And the audience enjoyed that. They clapped they clap to that. Uh, well, these, these, Pete, <coughs> these Pete Holmes fans, I, I, <laughs> I can't speak to them. I had kind of, that had like slipped my mind, and now that you're saying that, I do remember it, and that's frustrating to me, so I'm angry now. <laughs> <laughs> Not at you, but just at the, the world, the, the fact that that's yeah. a reality is upsetting to me. Yeah, because Eric was treating it like a comedy show, whereas Brett was treating it as a podcast recording of the You Made It Weird podcast. Yeah. Like, he was doing what happens on every other episode, but, you know, because there's a live crowd there, it's like, maybe that's not the way to go, but how would you know that going into it? Yeah, I think that that's more on Eric, because it seems like Eric has much more familiarity with Pete than Brett or John does. Right? Like, if you listen to that episode, Eric and Pete kind of, they seem like they have a pretty solid rapport, even though it's terrible and uh, awful to listen to. But um, 
Brett, uh, the only thing that he probably knows is that Pete does stand-up and that he has this podcast that he talks about all the fucking time. So he probably listened to a little bit of one of his podcasts and was like, okay, this is a, a podcast that's just like an interview show, and most of the time it's not that funny. Uh, so you talk about real shit with somebody, and this is a live version, so it's just going to be a panel. We're all going to answer like maybe one question in depth, and then we'll have a group discussion. I think Brett was totally in the right to approach that show that way, but I think that you're 100 percent right that Eric was just like everything's a joke. This is a comedy show. Like no matter what, we're just like we're throwing bits against the wall and seeing what sticks. And I think that. Um, for guys like Brett and John, that's just not the way. I just don't think that's the way that they approach any show. Yeah, I kind of see both sides on this one. Like, it's not, it's not like uh, the dust up that Pete and John had, where obviously one guy's being a dick, yeah. and one guy is responding to that as you should. Yeah, this was like, you know, th- this was definitely a misunderstanding. Yeah, and I, this this one, if I remember correctly, gets cooled down pretty pretty reasonable yeah. right like it's not it doesn't blow up and get brought up over and over and over again the way that they do with the uh, pete and john thing yeah i believe eric andre uh pulls out his penis at one point <laughs> that sounds about right and uh that that smooths things over yeah that's i think that's one of his go-to's is that if <laughs> if he ever feels like he's losing the crowd he just starts screaming and ripping off his clothes and running around and uh i think he gets naked at most of his shows right like that's one of his that's one that's of, thing one of his regular things people don't usually get naked on a stage so that's kind of funny yeah i think that's like a really good way to um just show the crowd that you really don't give a shit whether or not they enjoy your set at all because it's mostly about you performing and not their enjoyment of your material you know i'm kind of on the fence on it because a person getting naked in front of a whole bunch of people you know we didn't sign up for a naked show i'm a little offended but then he didn't tell me to be offended so then i know no this is actually not an offensive show you know i haven't thought about that uh in that way with this I mean, God, with this contact or this context, I should say. Um, now I, you know, now I understand that. Yeah, I, um, I think maybe if they had told me beforehand that it was going to be offensive or that this is really funny, I would have appreciated it more. I didn't realize. Um, yeah, I think maybe he should start just giving a, a really long monologue before he gets naked about how crazy it's going to be when he gets naked later in the set. That, if they set it up for me that way, then I think maybe I would just receive it a little bit better. Then the last one, it's 70 minutes. Pete tries to get his guests to say his dumb catchphrase. Oh, God and, uh, damn it. <laughs> and it, I don't know. I don't want to read too much in anything, but like everything, all the issues on this show seem like weird power moves that Pete is pulling on his guests. Like, he's doing his guest jokes, he's giving jokes to guests, he's uh, bringing up, you know, issues they've had in the past and stuff like that, and then being amazed and shocked when they respond to it in a natural way. Uh, Then he's trying to make people say something that's dumb and he knows it's dumb. It just, I don't know, it, it felt a little gross to me, but like I said, I'm probably reading too much into it. Yeah, I think you're I think you're reading too much into it. I find it kind of impressive that he could spend an entire hour um 
being such a narcissist that he has to wrap all of his petty power moves in um, thinly veiled bits and just hurl them at people on a stage. So yeah, we agree. I was reading too much. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think we're on the same page. Okay, well, that brings me to the end of my notes. And wow, what a bunch of bad boys. Each one more bad than the last, so long as you start with Jackie Cation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh... And usually on Podcasts for Wonderful, we rate podcasts on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is the worst and 10 is the best. And we stick to the 8s, 9s, and 10s because podcasts are wonderful. But this is a bad boys of podcasting episode. And so the entire spectrum is open to us, where 1 is a perfect angel and 10 is a naughty little stinker. Uh, so what would you give? Let's see. Let's start. Like I said, let's start at the bottom. Jackie Cation, what would you give her on a bad boys of podcasting scale? Oh, um, uh, let's, let's give Jackie like a two. She was there, but just barely. And what she was putting out wasn't really, um, what I would describe as one of the, the stinkiest stinkerers ever. I think she was just regular bad. So I'm going to give her a two. Yeah, I think I, I agree. I would almost am tempted to give her like a one or a zero (laughs) even, but she does she is armenian and she does know whose system of a down are and boy do those guys ever rock out so i gotta give her a little bit higher because of that yeah that makes sense i think that's that's kind of into the uh that's into that's they're bad boys I'll, yeah that's i'm good with that rating uh what do you think of system of that of the down system of a down by the way david coverdale you're a fellow musician yeah i think um I think they're great. I think they have the finger on the pulse of youth culture, and I think that they really understand the market that they work in, and um, looking forward to all of their albums in the future. I celebrate their entire catalog. Do you like their thing where they they sing soft for a while and then they sing really hard for a while? Yes, there, there's a thing that they do, and there's also a band called uh, Modest Mouse that did a lot of this around the same time, where they kind of sing really quietly or whisper a little bit even in the song, and then they scream as loud as they can to let you know that they're actually angry and they're not being um, quiet and telling you a secret. I love it. Uh, yes, so that's Jackie Cation and System of a Down. <laughs> <laughs> they, they weren't on the episode. 10 out of 10. Okay, great. Yeah. Full rating. <laughs> uh, let's see. So next, who would I say would be next on the scale? Probably I guess. Brett. Yeah, let's go with Brett. I, I mean, Gilman, I'm... I'm a fan of Brett Gilman. He wasn't as... He wasn't being as big of a bad boy as he normally is this episode. I, because of the way that he kind of came out and I think tried to be maybe too earnest for this crowd. So I'm, I was, I was going to give him a five, but I'm going to give him a seven because he is not afraid to immediately throw the room back into controversy by yelling at Eric. Yeah, like he knows what's already happened yeah, in this episode. he watched from the side of the stage and then walked out and still got in an argument. Yep. So. That's a good point. And like you said, like he is often a bad boy on his different podcast appearances. Uh, he can be quite the naughty stinker. Mm-hmm. Uh, even on his old podcast he used to have, uh, Gail Mania. Yeah. He was a bit of a wild boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I let's see. I'm gonna agree with you. I'm gonna go with the seven as well. 
great scoring so far. You're, you're really knocking it out of the park, David. I feel like we we just we're vibing right now. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, and I can't wait for this duet we're gonna have in a minute. Oh, but God. <laughs> folks, don't fast forward through. There's still a few more ratings to do. So, uh, what do you say, Eric Andre? Eric Andre. Um. <clears throat> I'm going to give Eric uh, an 8 or a 9 out of 10. Oh, wow. Um, I think that a lot of it was affected. I think he was trying to be a bad boy, but his constant disruption in and of itself is actually very annoying and bad. So I'm going to give him an 8 or a 9. He's up there for me in terms of being uh, naughty because of his relentless Morgan Freeman jokes and also (laughs) for all the offensive jokes they told us about earlier. Oh, true. I forgot how offensive he was earlier, but that was kind of more Pete, because Pete did tell us he was being offensive. Uh, Pete, yeah, well, Pete, yeah, exactly. But Pete also roped Eric into that offensive bit, so I'm I'm saying a little okay. bit of that bad boyness rubbed off on Eric, too, I think. Okay. I think I'm only going to give Eric a six on this one. He was instigating a little bit, but like I said, that Gelman thing was just kind of a... Uh, uh misunderstanding uh he gets a a six he's in the majority i guess he could say because of uh his thing where he you know they they had kind of gotten a little bit water under the bridge you could have maybe moved on from there but then he totally just resets things and brings it back all the tension back when he uh i believe that's the clip that people heard this week yeah he's he's not afraid to throw it right back in the gutter Yep. Uh, let's see, John Blazer. What are you going to give him? Um. Well, this is kind of difficult for me because I think I don't think he was trying to be a bad boy, and I don't think that no. standing up for yourself in a reasonable, like, respectful adult manner is necessarily being a bad boy. But I'm going to give him a five just because I love that dude. I mean, he. I'm going to give him a little bit of bad boy status just because I think. It's kind of badass to just say at, you know, um, however long into the podcast, uh, I don't like this. I wish I hadn't done it. <laughs> just say yeah. that to a room full of people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was almost tempted to just give him a full 10 because he was such a badass for standing up to him for himself, giving Pete a hard time for his shitty question. <laughs> uh but I, I think you're, you are right. I think I'll scale it back to a five because he was not being a stinker in any way. He was uh, he was being a, a good and just man. Yeah, I think uh, – so one of the things I think about kind of the bad boys is that they kind of go after trouble. They seek it out, and I think the, the trouble just kind of came to John, and he handled it in a way that was kind of badass. But I think overall um, – I don't think he was the one being a naughty sinker in that specific scenario. I think he was being a reasonable human person. And now, the naughtiest of them all, Pete Holmes. I think I know where this score is going. What do you think? What do you think, David? (laughs) I'm going to give him a full 10. He's garbage in this app. Not only is he bad, bad, just in terms of I don't want to listen to him talk and be this way, but he was being a super naughty stinker, like sabotaging and foiling his guests and himself every step of the way, and um, at the detriment 
to his show and the performance that his audience, uh, you know, obsessively paid to see. Yep, I'm going to agree. I also give him a 10. Uh, He was a real naughty, naughty bad boy. And uh, I think he, out of of all the bad boys of podcasting episodes, I think uh, this was the most awkward, uh, all because of Pete Holmes. So, way to go, buddy. Yeah, I think you did it. I agree. I think it was insane. Uh, So, that's our show. We did it. We talked about these titans of podcasting uh, clashing and and having a really rough time of it. So, great job, David. And now I think it's time for the ladies and gentlemen out there to get the treat of a lifetime. We promised them a song. Yeah. Well, uh, first, I just want to say thanks for thanks for having me. It's it's been my pleasure, and uh, I look forward to many years of listening to podcasts are wonderful. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad. It's always great to meet a fan. <laughs> Thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, I'm sure everybody will love that. <laughs> 